So, Chris, the people want to know our secrets. How did we get this podcast started? Yeah, kind of a crazy story. We were both coming into this from the YouTube side, have never really done anything podcast-wise. We looked around, found Anchor by Spotify, really great service. It's completely free to use. They have some great stuff that you can just upload straight onto the website. You can actually record on the website. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome into another episode of Sober in the State Soccer. This is Chris, the MLS card guy. I am joined as always by Nashi, our co-host. How are you today, buddy? Doing well, mate. Yeah, excited for this one. We had some uh, some big performances, some big games this weekend to get to. So I'm excited to hear your take. I didn't get to catch that many games. My family was in town from the UK, so a lot of family time. But I want to want to dig into your uh, your knowledge and expertise from watching them games. You said you caught a few this week, right? I did catch quite a few. I've been, full disclosure, focused on baseball 100% this whole week. But yesterday night, which obviously today is Sunday as we record it now, yesterday night, Saturday, I took the whole night off of baseball and just focused on soccer and got to catch quite a quite a couple of the games. I think I saw maybe five or six. You'll be shocked to know that D.C. was not one of them. I've given up on D.C. I don't want to watch them anymore. Um, not that I don't want to watch them anymore. There's just more important things going on. Like I knew – Montreal was going to beat DC. So it's like, why do I need to sit here and watch this? And it took less than a minute for Montreal to score. So that was a uh, pretty expected, honestly. And uh, yeah, I did not tune into that game because there was something far more important going on North of the border, which I'm sure we'll talk about, but I'll let you, I'll let you ask what you want to ask here. So where do we want to go first? Yeah. And no, I feel you there. It's a little too painful to, uh, to watch the, watch the DC at the minute. And I think we might as well start with a big headline. From I kept I had my alerts on my phone and just seeing bang goal one nil two nil three nil four nil Toronto before half time and from the outside I'm thinking this is the revolution it's happened they're on the scene they got to win every game now it's it's this magical thing they are that good it's that big of an impact from these star players was that what you saw when you were watching it or is there uh, kind of more to the story there? So it's complicated. Because, yes, they won 4-0. No, it wasn't an absolute shellacking like you might think. In the first half, it was it was one-way traffic. Charlotte wasn't creating any chances. But the first goal was Charlotte was trying to clear the ball, and Jonathan Osorio just jumped in the way, and it deflected off of him and went in the back of the net. It was an absolute, complete lucky break. There was nothing good about it. Um, just one of those weird you know, goals that sometimes happen. And that got them started. And you felt like that took the pressure off. It was like four minutes in the whole stadium was going nuts. And it was just like so much, so free flowing after that. Um, The second goal was a corner and Bernadeschi fell down on the corner. He slipped crossing it in and Michael Bradley just had a ridiculous flick um, from way inside the near post. And it went in at the far post. So again, just kind of very lucky that, you know, he slipped and it still kind of found the right place. And Bradley just made an incredible play. Uh, the third goal was Bernadeschi just doing Bernadeschi. He just shot from a million years out and, and goalkeeper had no chance. So that, that goal was pretty special. And then the fourth goal, they turned over um, Charlotte deep in their own half and then strung a couple nice passes together. And then Insignia had the little back heel flick that found Bradley get, making the run through and then Bradley chipped the keeper. And that was, that was by far the team goal that I would say, Oh my God, Toronto's here. Um, but that was realistically, that was one touch from one of the new guys, which was Insigne. And granted it was a very nice touch, but that was all players that they had before that made that happen. I guess Mark Anthony Kay's only been there three games. He's the one that made the turnover, but this was really what impressed me was just the atmosphere in the stadium was so much more lively. It didn't seem like a Toronto that felt like they were going to get beat. It seemed like they had just confidence. And we've talked about how Shakiri comes in and he's just a new presence in the locker room and it raises everybody else's game. And I think that was more the story rather than Bernadeschi or Insigne. I mean, Bernadeschi did do something special himself, but Insigne specifically, um, they didn't really, I mean, they had good games, but I, they weren't world beaters. They weren't, you know, absolutely lighting things on fire. 
Um, we've talked about how Toronto has incredible potential and incredible players on their team. They just weren't playing very well. And last night they really put it all together in the first half. The second half was a little bit more dicey. Um, and they took off Insigne and Bernadeschi because they're rotating for the uh, Canadian championship on, I think it's Wednesday, maybe Tuesday, which is a big deal. They, they play Vancouver and the winner goes to the CONCACAF champions league next year. So they wanted to get those guys off. Um, obviously not 90 minutes match fit yet either. So they want, want to get those guys off, which was good that they were up four nil and they could get those guys off. Um, but then it was more of kind of the same Toronto that we've been seeing in the past. It was giving up chances that they shouldn't give up. It was not really creating much offensively and Charlotte probably should have had at least one goal, but Toronto finally, finally, finally gets their clean sheet. Uh, it's been like 28 games since they had a clean sheet. Um, so there's at least some positive momentum, but I think we should just pump the brakes. They didn't just beat the brakes off of a great team on the road. This was a couple lucky goals that got them started and then a couple nice goals against the worst road team in the, in the league. So I think we just have to pump the brakes just a little bit and see how things play out. They've got a long road to get to the playoffs from here. Yeah, I mean, I was watching a few of the highlights and it looked like with the whole Italian influence, uh, Bradley seems to have been possessed by like the ghost of like a young Esteban Cambiasso, big Italian league Serie A legend back in the day. Um, he, he just had an out of his skin game. But to sort of build on that, like, did you see any sort of synergy between like, was there a balance in the team with both Bernadeschi and Signe coming in? Did you see this improving Jimenez? How did he link up with them and saw that three-pronged attack? Is there anything you noticed there differently or just more quality on the individual players? So Bernadeschi and Insigne were definitely looking for each other throughout the game. There were a couple long switches where Bernadeschi just picks his head up and says, where's Insigne? I'm just going to get him the ball. And nothing really came from those per se. Um, but I could see something coming from those at some point in the future. So those two clearly have a, a pretty decent chemistry from coming from Italy and Crescito kind of builds into that as well. He, he was also looking for Insigne. Um, I'd say, like I said, though, the big difference was really the middle three, Bradley, Kay, and Osorio just played out of their minds and gave Charlotte no time on the ball. To be fair, Charlotte doesn't really have a great midfield. So, this, it's not like they, they're dominating, you know, prime France teams or anything like that. It's just that, that they, I mean, they got to play who they got to play, right? They can't pick their opponent on the first game. Um, but it was definitely a different Toronto midfield three, and they had a ton more energy. Like you said, Michael Bradley was incredible. Um, he was, it, it was like he was back at Roma and he's playing back in the Italian league. Something about speaking Italian to all the guys again, I guess, just brought think, out his 25 year old self. Yeah. Do you think, um, Bradley or Osorio are going to Im improve from a Soria standpoint from the introduction. Is that kind of like, do they get more freedom where the defenders are attracted to these dangerous players in Signe Bernadeschi? And you saw him making that break through the middle of the defence and he almost parted like the Red Sea and he sort of just strolled through because you could tell the centre-half got brought out tracking Insigne from the highlights. He does a lovely little turn around the corner but maybe Bradley, Osorio, these kind of players weren't getting that space to run into before because the defenders weren't so preoccupied to getting tight to some of their other players. So from a Osorio standpoint, I guess that's something to look out for where there might be a bit of value that it wasn't before where some people might improve. I like Michael Bradley as a player. He sort of gives 100%. He does his job. So I'm happy he's getting a bit of a, the limelight in the first game there. Another thing I noticed, I, I, I'm an Insigne owner, as you know, and uh, I was checked his scores. I actually stuck him in my all-star team. Kind of was a bit of a punt, hoping he got some minutes. He ended up starting and doing pretty well. But I noticed he got a decent all-around score, an 18 uh, in the first half. He only played 45 minutes. Was that from like set pieces or like on the eye? Where were you seeing that score from? Because that got me excited. As much as the 4-0, I'm not a Toronto fan. I'm, I'm excited for the league, but... From a so rare player, I saw that 18 AA in the first 45 from a forward card, and I thought we might have something on our hands here. Did you did you see anything on the field that was happening in that way? Yeah, for sure. I mean, he was taking the set pieces from Toronto was attacking the right. So he was taking set pieces from the left side as we were looking at the screen, 
Bernadeschi was taking the corners on the right side. They didn't really have any free kicks um, to see who would take those. But, yeah, I mean, it looked like they were splitting the set pieces. And Insigne just didn't – he didn't have any negatives, I think, was the was the thing. He didn't ever give the ball away. I think it was 92% for passing. And he had a couple key passes. I think he had three or four maybe. So, I mean, yeah, he, he just didn't ever give the ball away. I, does he keep that up for 90 minutes? I mean, he, he played a heck of a game if he can keep that up for 90 minutes and have like eight key passes. That's a big score coming. Um, I don't think you're going to see 93% passing every single game. You're going you're gonna to go on the road to some of these real teams that are not Charlotte, that can press you a little bit. Um, you're going to start traveling. I mean, like, like we said, they play Vancouver in the midweek away at Vancouver. So flight from Toronto to Vancouver is no joke. Then they fly back to play somebody. I don't even remember who it is, but I know they play in the East Coast next. So, yeah, I mean, we'll see. We'll see if we can keep it up. It was certainly a good start, but uh, I don't know if we're expecting 36 all around every game. I am. That's why I've got my fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, and a decisive, right? Yeah, I think that's an interesting thing, especially for American soccer fans or maybe Americans that have found soccer through so rare who are listening to this. To watch someone like Insigne, and you mentioned his pass completion, his lack of loss of possession. And sort of from an American sport background, you look at the guy, he's five foot four. You know, I mean, you could blow him over in the wind, but yeah. that is the beauty of football, of soccer, or whatever. Someone with that stature, obviously, we see it with Messi, who's like a freak. But Insigne, with his intelligence, the way he'll position his body, the way he'll make his first touch move away from the defender. So you can't grab him, you can't put a body on him. And just if you want to watch that quality of player and sort of, sort of learn the sport as well as sort of play the game, he's a beautiful player to watch to understand some of them nuances. Because like you said, I kind of thought that you see it's a really physical league, the MLS, the travel and everything. And it, I kind of really rooting for him to kind of bring awareness to that kind of side of the game because he is a genius in his own right to do it in Europe, to play in Europe at the level you have when you essentially have no physical attributes. So he can't, he's not particularly fast. He can't head the ball. You know what I mean? He's not strong. He's not quick off the turn. So you'll see the elite level technicality, understanding movement positioning in a player like that. And it's great to see in the MLS. And obviously he's had an impact and them stats are telling. And like, that's gives me a little bit of hope too for the so rare side of things because you don't want to see him giving the ball away, getting bullied, getting in these running duels. It seems like he's found his stride there. So I'm, I'm backing him to, to kick on from him. So he doesn't have no physical attributes. I mean, he's quick. He, he does have a lot of technical ability. And the other thing with him, his, his center of gravity is so low to the ground. that he's really good balance. So he can kind of turn really well. Um, so I, it's, it's not like he's just like this random dude off the street that, uh, that has somehow found magical messy boots and he's, and he's just going off. Yeah. But he's not like a, he's, he's not like a messy five, five where he's like really quick, really agile, beating man after man. It's all yeah. upstairs. It's all in the head. And yeah, I think that translates really well to the Soria matrix as we saw in Italy. And I think we'll see in, uh, over here too. So yeah, I'm pretty excited by him. For you, the last thing on that was you, who were you more impressed by Bernadeschi or Insigne on the eye on their debut? Cause Insigne is the big name signing, but Bernadeschi yeah. coming in at 28 years old, he's prime Italy international played at the top level, his whole career, unbelievable quality. And I feel like he's kind of people excited about it, but if it was in isolation, it would be a much bigger deal, but he's kind of in the shadow of Insigne a bit. What was kind of your takeaway there? Yeah, from first game, it was Bernadeschi. I mean, you score a goal like that, and you're not really going to be beat for man of the match, except of, by Michael Bradley. You had two unbelievable goals. Um, but, yeah, Bernadeschi had a better game than Insigne for me. Um, and, I, I mean, Insigne was good. I'm not saying he wasn't good, but the whole team was good. You know, there was just space everywhere. Um, it was more just kind of Charlotte not really defending very well. And just, honestly, Charlotte looked like they – had gotten off the bus, not expecting Insigne and Bernadeschi to play in this game. And they were just like, what do we do now? Like, they're just looking around, like, like, how do we, how are we supposed to do this? And they just kind of stood there like deer in the headlights and didn't do anything. And there was a space everywhere. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I would say Bernadeschi had a better start, not to diminish Insigne's start at all. And not to say that 
Bernadeschi will be a better player than Insigne going forward. Just, I mean, Bernadeschi scored and Insigne had a nice assist, but that was really his biggest contribution for sure. Yeah, that's the last thing you need if you're stepping off the bus at Charlotte, see the team sheet, see these two superstars making their debut against you, the crowd going mental. You know, I mean, you're already up against it on a bad away form, but... Yeah, Charlotte are a team where, yeah, like it sounds like they got a little bit unlucky in this game. They're just not getting the rubber to green, especially away from home. Little things going against them, decisions, bad breaks, and teams go through that and it happens. So maybe they can uh, keep pushing towards the end of the season. What other games did you uh, catch this weekend? So that was the one that I watched in full, Toronto-Charlotte. I, I flipped over and saw a little bit of Orlando and Philly, like the last 15 minutes or so. And I just have to say how unbelievable Philly is week after week after week. They just get results when you feel like they shouldn't get results. There was a, let's say a, a controversial call in the box on Antonio Carlos uh, trying to get, get a penalty late in the game in stoppage time. Probably could have been, probably should have been a penalty, but don't get the call. Philly comes out with a one nothing win in Orlando away and Orlando interestingly did not rotate for their game against the New York Red Bulls. Red Bulls. We, we are recording this late enough to know that the Red Bulls have, uh, have not, or have rotated, sorry, um, for their U S open cup semifinal in the midweek. But anyway, Orlando put out basically their starting lineup and they're trying to pick up points here, uh, at home. And, uh, it, it just didn't happen. Like Philly just continues to grind out result after result. And I'm not sure that we're really giving them enough credit. Like Bedoya was out for this game and they just popped in Jack McGlynn and off you go. You know, there was just no drop off. Yeah. Talking of Jack McGlynn there, I've seen him play a little bit and he looks a really exciting player on the ball, especially really silky technical. And they've got a few of these youngsters who really look like they have genuine chances of being top players in the MLS, if not further than that. Do you think if they start to lock up their playoff spot. Can we as managers, as Soria players, so I've been debating picking up some of these guys. I saw McGlynn super rare on auction this week and I'm pretty tempted. Do we start seeing a bit more of these guys integrated in as the season goes on, maybe to save some of the starters for the playoffs or are Philly just going to keep doing what they do and just put their, put their guys out every week and grind them in? So that's not Jim Curtin to rotate. He loves to put the same starting lineup out there every single week. That being said, these guys have earned a chance, more than earned a chance. And when he does put them in, like when Bedoya gets suspended or, or whatever happens to one of the starters, they're going in and playing really, really well. So it's like you, you can't keep them out of the team forever. But that being said, you can't really drop any of the Philly starters. Like Philly just has a really good deep team. So, yeah, you'd like to see some rotation. But, I mean, they're one point ahead of New York City and they've played one extra game. They're going to fight as hard as they can to win the Eastern Conference. They're not going to lock up the Eastern Conference. In my opinion, they're not going to lock it up really early. So, yeah, Philly is just going to continue to to pound their normal lineup and do do Philly things and try and get a high, as high a seat as they can. Um, unless, unless, like, the last couple of games they've locked it up, maybe. But, yeah, I mean, those guys are still great to own, though. For sure. Yeah, that's what I was asking. Like, do they sort of prioritize the highest seed over maybe the rest or the fresher legs going uh, into like a playoff run? They'll take the highest seed every time, it sounds like, right? That's been the way they've done it traditionally. Now it hasn't always worked for them in the playoffs, so maybe they'll try something different. But that's Jim Curtin is very anti-rotate. So uh, that's the one nice thing about having Philly starters is that, you know, they're going to start every single game unless they're suspended. So, um, yeah, I, I don't foresee that changing. Now there is maybe a there is maybe a spot of could they drop Ali Bedoya to the bench because he's getting old and you know these guys are are better than him to be to be frank they're just flat out better at this point does he go with that move but he's very much a player's coach and I don't think he's going to drop Bedoya without Bedoya saying yeah okay these guys are better like start them over me type of thing which could yeah, happen especially in but, the in the playoffs is invaluable that experience you'd imagine you wouldn't yeah. stick out there, so he's a bit like Mark Noble at West Ham, yeah, it's like club legend, club captain. He's he wasn't probably good enough to play for the last five years of his career. We have better players, but his first name on the sheet because he's influence outside of you know what he actually does. And yeah, I feel like Bedoya is one of them. He's been a kind of a legendary player for uh, them and oh, the yeah. US for a while, so 
Yeah, I reckon he'll get the nod. But yeah, Philly, yeah. Philly just chugging along, huh? Yep, just chugging along, doing Philly things, flying under the radar. They're actually kind of closing in on LAFC too for the supporter shield, although LA has played one fewer game, but they're only three points behind. So this is um, this is going to be a fun race to the end here, I think, for, for the supporter shield and, and the first seed in the East as well. Talking, did you get to watch uh, the LAFC? I saw Gareth Bale uh, notched his first goal in the league. Uh, yeah. Pretty tidy little finish. I didn't envy the defender running backwards towards your own goal. Gareth Bale coming at you. Probably when you signed your MLS contract, whoever that was, didn't, didn't foresee that in the uh, terms and conditions. But yeah, not, it was a really not, nice finish. You could see the, how clinical we can be. Not only that, but you've been playing for 60, 70 minutes and Bale's coming in on, on 10 minutes rest. You know, he, he's only been on the field for a few minutes and he's fresh. Yeah, good freaking luck with that. Um, yeah, LAFC continue to do LAFC things, as we just said with Philadelphia. LAFC just keep on obliterating teams in the second half. They've been so I they they said a stat that I just couldn't believe on the on the on the um, broadcast yesterday. They said, and I, I'm pretty sure I get this right. They've only been leading four times at halftime all season long, and they have something like 14 wins, but they've won the second half in all but like two of their games. It's absolutely absurd how good they are, not only just in the second half, but even in the last 30 minutes of the game. They're just obliterating teams, and that's because they're the deepest team in the league. They have the, the most fit team in the league. And they just kind of squeeze you and squeeze you and squeeze you, and they don't give up goals. So it's always nil-nil until they score, basically. And they haven't dropped any points from winning positions all year long. It's absurd. They're 15 for 15 when they take the lead. So LAFC is dangerous. I said during the Galaxy game, I think, that uh, this team was going to win the supporter shield and going to be very dangerous in the playoffs. They've come down a little bit. So some of the teams are kind of closing in around them a little bit but they're still easily the deepest team in the league. And I would not want to play them in LA come playoff time. That's for sure. And that seems like a bit of a nail in the coffin for SKC, that result. When we're talking about the West, which we'll look at the West a little bit this week, they seem to be cut adrift now, uh, you know, starting to build for next season. What do you see from them? Is there, is there any, any players or any things you think they can do to sort of look, look ahead or card holders in particular? We know we've got Johnny Russell's a big so rare player there. Think he's going to stick around, or you trying to move out of him? I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, Sporting does this sometimes, though. Like they had a, a season, I think it was two years ago, maybe, where they were just horrible, finished like twenty first in the league, um, and then they kind of bounce back and, and come back. It might have even been last year. This might be back to back bad years. Um, but yeah, they they do this from time to time. I don't know that it's anything to super worry about. But um, yeah, I mean, you give some of the younger guys chances, uh, you. See what you get from Pulse Camp. I think you just start him the rest of the year. To be fair, I don't know why he hasn't been starting before this, but Mealy has gone out with a hamstring, so it should now be fully Pulse Camp's job until you know until Melia comes back, which will probably be I would say four four weeks, known hammies at least. Um, so we'll see what we get from the youngster and see if he's worth keeping around. You've got Cam Duke, who's a nice little piece. See what see what he can bring. And you've got guys like Sonus, who I actually thought was pretty good. He was pretty lively and, and he moved really well against LAFC, but he, his finishing product was horrific. So interesting to see kind of what they get from some of these younger pieces uh, throughout the rest of the season. But yeah, I, I don't think Sporting's getting back in it at this point. I think we can kind of go ahead and write them off. We can write off DC. Um, San Jose is in that boat. I think we can kind of write them off too. They're closer than Kansas City is, but that was a massive, massive game that they blew in Portland, being up 1-0 and, and not being able to finish. So, um, yeah, I think there's a few teams now that we can kind of kind of write off. Chicago not being one of them, surprisingly. Yeah, massive result. Like, when you're on paper going away to Vancouver, and I know you have a few bits to say to sort of pipe down my excitement a little bit, but that's a massive result. I'm not expecting as a fan there to go and get three points, put three goals past them because they've been pretty solid this year. And... Yeah, there's some momentum there. Three points off the playoff line. Still going to be a tough run in. It's so congested. There are some good teams, potentially better teams. But like I said, some of them things that we were looking at, Shakiri seems to be finding a bit better fitness. He's sort of got that extra snap in his step. He's playing till the 90th minute and impacting the game, which we want to see. 
And then some of the younger players have really came out and made an impact, which makes such a big difference. John Duran up front, Gutierrez, yeah. and then uh, Carlos Turan stepped in at the back and just an absolute physical monster. But he looks to really be calming down on the ball and having some composure, which he really was lacking early on in his career. So, yeah, three youngsters coming in and that's kind of really made a difference. And that's what you want to see. And that's, you know, around the MLS, that's a really nice talking point where the young players can make an impact like that. So, yeah, happy with Chicago, big result. But I know yeah. you're going to cut, cut me down a peg or two here. So far I got to be a little bit of a buzzkill here because, yeah, going to – so I'm the biggest proponent of Vancouver that you'll ever meet, right? You can ask John from Predictology on our show. I talk about how BC uh, BC Place is the toughest place to play in North America. Every single show I have to mention that at some point. And Chicago does go in there and get the three-run result. However, it was a very heavily rotated Vancouver team. They're preparing to play Toronto in the midweek in the Canadian Championship a game that would qualify them for the for the uh, CCL next year. It's a massive game. They did not play a lot of their starters. Guys like Ryan Gold were on the bench. Um, I, I think we looked. It was like five or six guys. Ranko Veselinovic didn't play. He's a big piece at the back for them. So, um, yeah, I, it was just a, a kind of a rotated Vancouver squad. That being said, you got to beat the teams in front of you, and Chicago have been doing that the last few weeks. They caught Seattle at a bad time and, and ended up beating them. They caught Toronto right before Toronto maybe gets hot. Um, so, you know, you're kind of kind of getting some some nice results and up to ninth in the in the Eastern Conference, two points off the playoff line, Cincinnati and Charlotte in front of you. So, um, yeah, it's it's not looking bad. Now, are, are you going to stand by your your huge talk from the pre-show here and, and say how Chicago is going to do over the next four games? Or are you going to tone it back down? I think we're going to pick up some points. I'm a big proponent in momentum. And I, I think it's a real thing. I think it's it's obviously unquantifiable, you know, but you say, I feel like it feels round, around the place. You can tell by the players' celebrations that there's some momentum, there's team spirit. We've got some tough fixtures coming up, but I think we're picking up some points. I think we can get, I mean, I said, I said maybe a high end to you pre-show, but when I'm looking at the next run of fixtures here, I think over the next, I mean, we got Atlanta. So let's say the next four games. What do you Atlanta, think you're going to get? Atlanta at home, that's a win. That's a win. Atlanta are done. They're finished. Charlotte, oof, coming off a of 4-0. They are good at home. But I think that's a win too. I've got to be honest with you. Philadelphia away, I'll take my licks there. I think uh, we struggle to get a point there. And I think the one that might we might surprise people is we host New York City. Obviously, Tatty will be gone. I think we pick up result. I think that's the one where you were most contentious about. Obviously, you back Charlotte home for understandably. They've been good this year, but they're a beatable team. We got the momentum. They seem to not have things quite going their way at the minute. So I think it's a good time to come up against them. Philadelphia, I'm not, not too confident, but I think the upset that I'm calling is we'll take some points off New York. So I'm thinking... Between seven and nine points, next four games, straight into the playoffs, and we got a nice little sweat towards the end of the season. So we're back on the horse. We're back on the so, horse. So Charlotte, Charlotte at home have seven wins at home. The team here's the list of teams that have more than seven wins at home: New York City FC, LAFC. That's the list. That's it. Those are the only two teams who've been better at home than Charlotte. That's a tough ass to go to Charlotte with that crowd and pick up all three points. Now, a, a point, maybe, if you're really playing raw, I guess he may be sneaking a point. Atlanta's not dead yet, so I don't know if we're fully counting that as three points. I think you'd be pretty happy to get – you'd be really happy to get four points out of the next two. Where's and then the, Philly, Philly and NYC, I mean, one point out of those two would be would be pretty, pretty good, I think. We need some camaraderie on the show, mate. DC, you've already said, are a write-off. You might as well jump on the uh... – the Chicago bandwagon. Jump on the Chicago bandwagon. Get yourself a Shakiri. Oh. Just, uh, just accept your fate as a as a new fan. So, yeah, I'm I'm confident we'll we'll uh, there'll be some talking points there. I did want to go back to you mentioned Polescamp um, yeah. coming in at SKC, and I know you've been talking to me again off air about some young goalkeepers that you think are getting starts where maybe they shouldn't um, or might be in you know might not be merited. What do you kind of see in there? Because obviously this is huge for so rare, some big money being spent on these young goalkeepers because they're a hot commodity. 
but you kind of thinking maybe there's some some vulnerable positions there. Well, so that was my point was I think that MLS managers are playing so rare and that they want to start their U23 goalkeepers just to, to get a little bit of an edge. Like there's a couple of guys that I think should not be starting. Um, first of all, Celentano in Cincinnati. I like him. I really do. For the future, I think he's a really good player. Right now, Alec Khan is a better goalkeeper, and there's no reason why Alec Khan shouldn't be starting games right now. And it seems like Alec Khan is healthy to me. In Atlanta, I think Rocco Rios Novo is not not starting caliber yet, and I think this is part of the problem for Atlanta. They went and signed a, kid, a guy from Mexico, and I don't think they should be riding off the season yet and just saying, forget it, we're just going to start the youngsters. Now, John Polskamp, I think, should be starting because Kansas City should be riding off the season and seeing what they get out of Polskamp. But um, there's a couple guys that I think maybe shouldn't be starting. I think, I mean, I don't know what's going on in Vancouver. I don't know where Hassal is. He should probably have been back by now. Um, I'm trying to think of other U23 goalkeepers around the league, but there's there's like, there should be maybe two or three at a time in the MLS. And it seems like there's like six or seven that are starting right now. And I have no idea why. Yeah, no, it's a little, um, it's a little hotbed right now. I don't know whether they're seeing the gargo on money and thought we'll have a bit of that, or maybe there's a chance, but... Yeah, maybe. I mean, the U.S. has been known to have some good goalkeepers historically, so maybe there is just talent coming through, or maybe there's there's a bit of a transfer strategy because they're a hot commodity. But yeah, it's a bit of a phenomenon right now. But I, like you said, I, I get a little bit tentative to buy some of these guys because I know how fickle these managers can be in the league. So just a little word of warning for people out there. Was Look there any other David Ochoa? Right? Look exactly. what happened with David Ochoa. Yeah, he was the. He was the sort of poster boy coming into the season, and he's. I would have said if you if you want to make camp miss U twenty three prospects before the season, it's David Ochoa easily, and I don't think it was yeah. close. Hassal would have been second in my mind, but yeah, Ochoa would have been first, and he hasn't he hasn't played any at all, has he? I don't think he has a start. Uh, he's off in he's off in Wonderland doing God knows what. So yeah, he's completely gone into the abyss. So yeah, that's the that's the risk you take, I guess, as part of the uh, game. I just noticed there's an incredible <laughs> the Austin Red Bull game. We're recording it now, just gone to four three. So I don't know if you saw that, but it was a wild game. We missed that one. And Red was Bull there any- rotated too. Yeah. They're wild. Four- was there any other games you called before we start looking at this sort of Western Conference playoff picture? Uh let's see. So there were two late night. I was up for MLS after dark here, people. So I got all the all the action. Um there was there was a bit of a bit of naysaying going on on the on the Predictology podcast that that betting podcast with Predictology comes out on Thursdays, um, and and our co-host John, who is also the sponsor of this podcast, was a was a little down on Seattle. Was trying to convince me that Seattle wasn't any good, and they came out and promptly conceded to Colorado in the fourth minute. And he texted me and was like, "Hey, I told you so," and I said, "Hold, hold, hold. There is a lot of time left in this game, and here comes Seattle right back." Um, to be fair, they they were pretty dominant for most of the game. The Colorado goal was a little fluky, and then Seattle was was dominant going forward for most of the game. Got their goal before halftime, albeit a little cheekily. Like they they had a free kick from about ten yards inside the offensive half, and I don't know if it was Rusnak or Ladero. I think it was Ladero took it from like twenty yards inside his own half. It was like thirty yards away from the foul was, but he took it real quick and he threw a ball over the top and. Colorado wasn't expecting it, and the Colorado people went nuts. Um, and then there was a, a crazy red card for Kellen uh, Kellen Rowe, I think his name is. Um, he's already on a yellow, and he is trying to run down a ball at the sideline, trying to keep it in play, and he slides to try to like keep it in play all by himself, no one around, slides to try to keep it in play, can't. And so he just instinctively like picks up the ball and just tosses it over the end board. You know, and, and like no Colorado player trying to take the throw in, nobody around or anything. And the referee out of nowhere, none of the Colorado players protesting. Referee out of nowhere just comes up and hands him a second yellow and off you go for delaying the game, even though there was no Colorado player anywhere in sight. So, yeah, that was a, a bit of a weird one. So it was 1-1 at that point. And you figure, well, this just may not be Seattle's day, but they came up with a second goal. Um, looked again pretty confident the entire way. I've said for a while now that Seattle is probably one of the better teams in this league, and they're going to be there right at the end. I know they don't look like it in the standings, 
but this is just what Seattle does. So don't panic on Seattle. If you've got the Seattle stacks, it's still, still the best stack in my opinion to have maybe a Philly sack, but uh, maybe a New York city stack. I don't know. There's a lot of good teams in MLS. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're right there now. Um, they're just a point off the playoff line with a game in hand. So even though it kind of feels like they haven't been hitting anywhere near their heights, they're still right there in and amongst it. And like you say, you expect them to lock it up, just kick on at the end of the season. Um, was that the last game you kind of caught a good chunk of? One some- more. One Go more ahead. late one. Get yeah, yeah. So it was uh, Portland-San Jose was the latest game. That one, the Seattle game was pretty much over. Um, and Portland was like a few minutes into the into the uh, second half. So I got to watch most of the second half in Portland. And San Jose up 1-0 on the road at Portland. And they flashed up a stat. And you just knew, like, they've just jinxed them. Um, they said San Jose hasn't had the lead at halftime and lost a game since 2020. They 14 in a row, they haven't lost after having the lead at halftime. And it was like, yeah, this this stat's going in the trash real fast. Um, Portland came through. To be fair, the first Portland goal was very fluky. Uh, Diego Char tried to take a shot that was going to go five or ten meters wide, and it bounced off Nia's Goda and just went in the back of the net. Like, there's no reason he should have been standing there. There's no reason Char was – like, he was taking a shot. He wasn't trying to pass the ball. Um, so just very lucky to get the first one. But then the second one was a, a nice goal. Um, Portland are just on fire on fire. I mean, they were hurt a lot in the beginning of the season, but this is so prototypical Portland. This is just what they do all the time. They're shit for the first half of the season. And then they turn it on come August and off they go into the playoffs and they're a nightmare once they get into the playoffs. So this is just more of the same from Portland, both Portland and Seattle are coming into the playoff picture. So I don't know who's dropping out at this point. It's a tough, it's a tough look when you look at the Western Conference and say, where are we going from here? So let's yeah, let's take Luke. You mentioned Portland being on a hot streak, but you could you got to put a strong argument up against Minnesota being on the biggest heater right now. If you add in them absolutely pumping Everton uh, in their little friendly exhibition, whatever it was, 4-0. Um, they've their last six games, they're unbeaten. They've put one draw up and the rest of them, they've won, scoring a bunch of goals away from home, getting results. They're just on fire. Manuel Reynoso is just looking absolutely mercurial there in the midfield. I don't even think he played uh, in the game yesterday, if I saw from uh, some of the team news there. But he's just a catalyst. And even without him, they go away to Houston, probably baking hot down there get a result. They're on fire. They've flown up to fourth in the third, even in the, in the Western standings. So it's hard to see, like we said about momentum, obviously we've got LAFC in there. We've got Austin in there. Minnesota are absolutely flying right now. Below them, it starts to get a little interesting. Two teams that played each other were uh, RSL and Dallas this week. And I don't know, I actually watched the highlights of this game and if you just see the result, Dallas get a 1-0 away win against Salt Lake, which is a big result. But the game didn't play out like that. Uh, RSL, from what I saw, looked a much, much more dominant team in the game, but didn't get the result. And at this stage of the season, that sort of three to six point swing, however you look at it, is looking really, really important to them specifically. Like if they're sat there now on 36 points, they're up in third, there's some distance. Now you start looking at RSL and Dallas, and you look at below them, they've got Nashville, have got a really nice run of fixtures, a bunch of home games, Portland, Seattle, and then the LA Galaxy have been poor, but they're still in there with a couple of games in hand. You've got to be looking at RSL and Dallas as the two that you start getting a bit worried, don't you? Yeah, and RSL dropping points at home too, which is they've absolutely made a living off of the winning games at Rio Tinto, and they drop it points to another team that I think is going to be pretty close to that playoff line come the end. Cause I, I can't see, I mean, Portland and Seattle are going to make it for me. And then the top three are going to make it for me. And then it becomes, okay, we've got two spots left, right? I'm counting that right. One, two. Yeah. Two spots left. And we've got RSL, Dallas, Nashville, LA galaxy and Vancouver. Vancouver's got a lot of ground to make up. Um, 
and they're just not getting enough results on the road. They have just a really poor start to the season. So they can come back, but it's going to be like, they're just, they've dug themselves a big hole. So if all these teams were even, I'd say Vancouver is probably slightly favored for me. Nashville is the other one that I think is, is got a pretty good shot to make it. So that kind of leaves RSL and Dallas fighting for that last spot, right? Like maybe Vancouver gets into that fight. I can't see how the galaxy get back into this. I'm looking at it. And like I said, it's, I saw that was a debate we had earlier in the season. I had a kind of a take that I thought RSL were going to hold on. And it's starting to look a bit dicey now. I mean, looking at the performance, I just quickly looked up the stats for that game. Like I said, I didn't watch it, but RSL had 25 shots, five on target, 70% possession. They lose 1 0. So it's maybe not, maybe they haven't put in a poor performance, but it's the business end of the season and you've got to get results. And Dallas have gone away from home, not really performed great and got a result. And that's what counts now. And they're in it and you can't count them out. They've got the talent too. So now I'm looking at RSL, Dallas, Nashville and the Galaxy realistically. They've got a win tonight. Um, They're playing Atlanta, kicking off pretty shortly, I think. That's a must-win game for them. But they're definitely still in it if they can figure it out. I I struggle to look past Nashville just because they have... I don't know how many years, but they just got such a favorable run in like home games from their stadium thing at the start of the year. They just got home game, home game, home game. So between them three teams, yeah, it's tough. I got, I think I got a back RSL from what I saw in their performance. They've been getting results, but yeah, the galaxy feel like they've been poor all season, but they're banging it. And Dallas are just a weird team where they have a bunch of talent, but sometimes they just don't turn up, but they, they got a good result. So yeah, I'm with you. I'm putting Nashville in there as a lock. And I think it's between RSL, Dallas, and the LA Galaxy who wants it the most. So, yeah, I, I can't argue with that. If, if you're a big goal differential guy to show you kind of how good the team is for moving forward, Dallas is plus seven goal differential, RSL's plus one, and the Galaxy are plus one, and Vancouver's minus 13. That was just a really bad start for Vancouver, and they're just kind of grinding out results now. Um, Dallas, it just seems like, man, like they'll beat teams two or three nothing, and you're like, wow, that's a good team. Like they could really do some damage in the playoffs. And then they'll have, they'll be like up one nil against Austin. And you're like, okay, come on, hold on now, hold on. And then they give up a goal. It seems like they actually did get a result last night, which is kind of weird seeing as how it was a close game. Um, but it seems like all season long, Dallas has not been getting that result in the close game. And that's why they're still kind of in the thick of this talent wise. There's no question that Dallas is the most talented team here. If they get hot, they're going to be the lat- that, that team that makes it in. And they probably won't even be the seventh seed. They'll probably be like a four or five seed if they get hot, but they're also so young that I'm like, I don't really want to trust them and, you know, put them in over, over some of these other teams. Like, I mean, it, it's really tough to pick. The, the, the West is so deep. Yeah, when I when I look at them three teams, we sort of narrowed it down to, you look at RSL and realistically, they've overperformed this season. So on paper, you're thinking they may be the most vulnerable, but at the and same they're time... They're, even. they're basically even with everybody yeah, else. They've definitely overperformed. Galaxy, I've got to say, have underperformed quite drastically. If you look at their roster, if you look at the players they have in that squad, I think they've underperformed. Dallas are kind of, yeah, they're kind of that maverick team in the middle. They've got talent. I don't even really know what to expect of them. So a lot of their talent's young. There's that little bit of variance, a little bit of unpredictability with it. So I, almost my expectations, I didn't have them settled in a realistic place. So it's kind of a really interesting run at. My, my heart wants the route for RSL to just kind of beat the odds and get there. But when you're looking at it sort of pragmatically, you start to worry for them because you can see, I can see Dallas and Galaxy, more so Dallas, but putting on a decent run of fixtures, just having it clicking. And yeah, they can score goals. They can put big results up uh, at critical times. So yeah, I think it might, I think Dallas might be the ones that we'll, we'll settle on there. So have, here. here's my problem with that. Have LA overperformed or underperformed this season? Because you said they underperformed so far, given their talent. I don't know that that's true. I mean, given their, given their offensive talent, 
maybe this is about where they should be. But defensively, they were so good in the first half of the season. And I don't, I don't think I, I thought they were going to be that good defensively. They got a lot of results based on defense. But how many of the players in the Galaxy this season can you look at and think, he's had a great season? There's not too many. Like you, who individually, who's kind of smashing it overperformed from what you thought? And you can pick out five or six guys that just haven't done it anywhere near their potential, you know? from their team and, and their big players, their designated players, Costa, more is expected from Hernandez, I think, from most people. Kevin Cabral, DP, non-existent all season. Even their fringe players haven't, haven't done the business. The one who I'd say has stepped up is uh, DJ. He's been absolutely phenomenal of late. Yeah. And, but there's still definitely more juice in that team if these other guys can start contributing. Douglas Costa, I've actually been watching, I watch a lot of Galaxy games because obviously I'm over here on the West Coast and he's been horrendous all season, like absolutely embarrassing as a professional footballer. But he's, the last couple of games, he's looked healthier, looked fitter. I don't know what it is. Obviously he's been out pretty much on and off all season. He'll probably pull his hamstring tonight. But he's looked a bit sharper. He's been trying to beat people, get on the ball, where earlier in the season he was almost just receiving it and trying to get rid of it. It looked like he couldn't run, you know? I don't know if it's a fitness, a shape thing, or like you say, coming into the league. But if someone like him can just kick on and give another 50% even to what he has been, maybe that can make the difference. So that's kind of what I mean. Whereas RSL, if I'm a fan of theirs, or I'm looking at them, I think I'm proud of every player. Every player is yeah. almost overperformed. Like, where's the extra, where's the extra juice in that? You know, you know what I'm saying? So that's kind of how I'm looking at it on an individual level. I understand what you're saying defensively. Maybe there are some frailties there, but there's not many players of the Galaxy where I think he's maximized his potential this season. Yeah, I mean, I so I, I, I definitely see what you're saying. On the offensive side, I think they've underperformed. On the defensive side, I'd say they've overperformed. Though. They're, they've given up 27 goals this year going into tonight. We don't know the score of this game. That's eight. There, there are 18 other teams that they're better than defensively. And last year, they were in the bottom five for sure in far as goals allowed. So they're way high. They've given up way less goals than I thought they would. So I guess it kind of balances out for me to where, yeah, you hope, you hope that some of these other guys would perform a little bit better, but the defense is also performed better than I thought you would. And, and I think Mark Delgado has had a great season. I think Ravellison's had a great season. I think um, Raheem Edwards has had a great season. Um, Bond has had a pretty good season. There's been times where he's been very shaky, but he's at overall, he's had a pretty good season. So there it's, it's not like this is a team that should be at the top of the league and they're just not performing in their seventh. It's not like they're Seattle per se. They're kind of where I kind of where I expected them, like right on the playoff line. And I know that that's not, that's not good enough for galaxy fans and nor should it be like they're one of the top, two franchises in the, in the league all time. Um, but that's just where they are talent-wise. They just don't have the talent and depth that some of these other teams have. Yeah, I mean, you say that defensively, though. Like, every player you mentioned there has been good, but they, they're really good players. Mark Delgado is a good player in the league. He has been. Ravellison yeah. is a solid player. I think he'd get a look in most teams. And them two in that sort of double pivot are effective. Their back four is not... There's no one in their back four that I'm thinking is awful. So I don't think they're like having like Jonathan Bonds just having unbelievable games, just carrying the team. So like oh. I said, if, if they can click up front, if they can get it working and start putting in more goals, I got back to Galaxy to, to have more in the tank than RSL. But yeah, that's the beauty of it, isn't it? That's the, uh, that's the opinions coming in. Maybe that's my West Coast rose-tinted... Weed glasses, Venice Beach glasses coming out there and, uh, and, and rooting for a local team. Do they, do they have more? Would you rather have Dallas's front three or LA Galaxy's front three? Dallas. I'd pretty take easy. Dallas front three pretty easy, but front six on paper before the season. I would, though, I would still take Dallas front six. Before, before the season, though, it would have been a lot different conversation, I guess. I, I, if you looked on paper at the front six of LA, yeah, sort could, of, but like they got Douglas Costa for free from like Gremio or something like some team in Brazil didn't want him. And it's like, how good is he really? I mean, I know 
I know he was at Bayern. Like he's, he was a world-class player, but clearly there's just something where he just doesn't want to put in the work to be an elite player anymore. So you kind of, kind of could have kind of figured that out beginning of the year. Um, Chicharito is like 150 years old. So how much can you really expect from him? You know, he just doesn't have the legs anymore. Cabral, I think we, I would say Cabral is probably the biggest underachiever in my eyes. Cause I thought he'd have a pretty good season. But like, it's it's not like it's not like LA has the top three players in the league here. Like, let's be fair. No, I, I wouldn't say so. But I really am a big fan of F. Alvarez. I actually really F like. good, but he doesn't play a lot. Yeah, I like what Grand Sur can bring. They got Victor Vasquez in that sort of ten role sometimes. He's an experienced player. They've got talent. They've, there's no excuses there for them to not be scoring more goals. And yeah, like I, I see what you're saying. The front three of Dallas this season with Ariola coming in and just being absolutely on fire, a player who's performed in my, better than a lot of people maybe thought he would. Obviously, you know, he's a good player and an established player, but he's been absolutely red hot for them. And yeah, obviously, Jesus Freire. And yeah, to be fair, um, yeah, to be fair, I think you got a point there. I think I would take the front three of Dallas on paper and on Soria for now, but I think Galaxy might have some surprise in the locker. So that's, that's the fun of the game. we got it all to watch. So... Yeah, good running. How how important before we sort of wrap up here? How important from a so rare standpoint do you think them playoff games are for the value of, the, of your cards? You know, because I've been trying to sort of figure that out recently and getting a bit excited, thinking all my dusty Chicago players might be uh, might be reprieved if we if we make the playoffs. So what's your might get, might get one more game in there. Yeah, no, I mean it doesn't. If you make a deep run and you have the stack, it can be helpful. But, I mean, it's during the European season. It's not like you're playing these guys an all-star and there's no one else playing. Um, I'm not sure what the situation is for Brazil and Argentina and all those. I don't know how the how the schedules line up this year or, like, Korea and Japan, too. I don't know if the MLS playoffs will go deeper than those leagues. It's possible that, like, you could be having Champion America with, like, two games in the Western and Eastern Conference Finals. So it's possible if you can make a team of players – that's going to get to those finals, then great. But we're sitting here looking. I I don't have any confidence of picking even one team that's going to make the final four, like one of those Eastern Conference, Western Conference finals. Because I'd, I'd like Philadelphia's chances. I'd like NYC's chances, although uh, Ronnie Dyla leaving has maybe turned them down a little bit. And now Tati leaves. They have to replace him. So maybe that's tough. But, I mean, I don't want to play them. They've got – Talis Magno and all kinds of Santi Rodriguez, all kinds of talent in that team. New York Red Bulls, they're going on the road and rotating against Austin and winning 4-3. Are you kidding me? Um, even a team like Columbus could make it. Um, and then in the Western Conference, LAFC, we've talked about them at length. Austin is still a great team, even though they lost tonight. Minnesota's on fire. Like I could see Seattle get, making a deep run. Portland could make a deep run. That's like 10 teams, and only four of them are going to make it. So actually planning for that is – like impossible yeah no I, I see what you're saying do you um, and even if you're the one seed that's only one game between that and the eastern conference final the western conference final you just have to win one game so you only get like two extra games the tops right 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 do you see so it seems to me that this happened where the downturn of sort of the mls card prices have started as the european season starts to kick up now yeah do you think when do you think from your experience will be kind of the the bottom out of this America slump or when was the best time that you'd be looking to buy if you're playing America? Cause some people have been sort of wondering, Oh, should we get rid of American cards or should we just hold them now? What's your kind of general thoughts? Cause you've done the MLS yeah. cycle a couple of times through now. Yeah. And we were really successful last year. That doesn't mean anything for this year. It could be a completely different cycle, especially with the world cup. That's going to throw a kind of a monkey wrench into things. We don't know how that's going to play. We don't know how Major League Baseball is going to play because, I mean, yes, this downturn is coinciding with the European season starting, but it's also coinciding with the start of Major League Baseball on the, on the platform. So how much does everybody selling off Major League Baseball cards at the end of their season, how much does that help the MLS? So there's a lot of variables that we didn't have last year that we have this year that'll make things potentially different. That being said, um, you kind of you kind of play a little game in your mind and you say, okay, if I'm gonna do this, what would I 
what would I do? So if, if my strategy is I want to play MLS and then I want to sell off my team and not have a team for the off season, and then I want to buy my team back when the MLS starts up again next year, when am I going to sell those cards? Well, you might, you might want to say to yourself, well, I'll just sell them the last week. But a lot of people are smarter than that. And they kind of know that the price is going to be down. So a lot of people will sell with a couple of weeks to go thinking that they're getting a jump on the market and they're selling before the bottom and all that stuff. So a lot of times the bottom ends up being a couple of weeks before the end of the season. And then on the reverse side, it's okay. If I'm going to buy a team at the end of this MLS season and hold it all the way through to the start of next season and try to grow my value by just holding the card, which is a completely valid thing. That's what I did last year. How are you going to go about doing that? And you would think, okay. And a lot of, a lot of people think this one dimensionally and they say, okay, so everybody else is going to sell off at the end of the season. So I'll wait till the last week. And then once the last week, then everybody will be selling their teams. I'll buy my team then. And they end up being a little bit late to the party. So I always try to buy a little bit earlier than everybody else. So I, I typically am targeting, like, I'd say three, if I'm trying to sell players, I say a month before the end of the year. And that's the regular season, not the playoffs. Um, if I'm trying to, if I'm trying to buy players, I'll probably start doing that with a couple weeks to go. I don't know how me personally, I don't know how heavy I'll get into that this year. Um, but yeah, I would say a little bit before the start of the season, before the start of the, or the end of the season, sorry, is when probably the, the Valley will be. But that being said, you don't have to time it specifically perfectly on the Valley. Um, at least last year, if you bought your cards in November, you were fine. If you bought them in October, you were fine. If you bought them in September, you were fine. There's, there's a pretty good little window right now with this not being a super mature market um, where you could still buy players. And then same thing on, on the back end when you're selling them off again at the end of the year. I was buying players from, I'd say, October to November was when I bought most of my guys. And a, a couple of them I flipped because they went up so quick. And I flipped them and went and bought more players. Um, and then I started really trying to sell stuff off at the end of January, which was a little early. I think, I think I should have held a little longer, but yeah, you, you just going to want to play 3d chess and, and figure out when is everybody else going to do something and then do it a couple of weeks before that is, is hopefully the right answer. It was a very long winded answer. At least I know that. That's good insight. I mean, the, it's tough for me coming in like versus some other leagues where you can kind of, you feel confident about judging a player's performance year after year, especially if they're staying in the same setup. MLS has so many variables where a couple of guys leave a team and now they're significantly worse. That impacts your card independently. It's so hard to have any kind of sure bets based on, you know, it's hard to look on if I'm sure someone will do it and has done it in the content where they've, looked at like pre-season hype on some of these guys in the MLS and they've just kind of had such a difference season to season, you know, being in the same team even sometimes. Look so at Johnny little, Russell. Look yeah. at Johnny Russell in Kansas City. Yeah, there's a decent bit of risk there and it's a really hard landscape to navigate in that sense too. So, which obviously leaves big opportunities for people who get it right. So that's the fun. So but yeah. The one thing that I would say is don't pick up the the last guy on the team sheet, because that's probably the one that's going to get changed. Don't go for like, you know, Seattle's third best midfielder. Either go for the really top end guys. Like Insigne is not going anywhere and his value really doesn't matter. You know, Toronto could sell their whole team and he'd still be a good player. Um, so you go for those types of guys or you go for the youngsters. Like you go for the, the Quinn Sullivans and the Paxton Aronsons who didn't get a lot of time this year. But next year, it potentially could break out. Um, you go for those kind of guys, or you go for uh, guys that are potentially going to move uh, to a better spot. And, and that'll be tough to judge until we get closer to that. We'll have a ton of stuff. I mean, I was following on the YouTube channel last year. We followed, you know, the expansion draft and the free agency period and all this different stuff that happens in MLS and the transfer window and all that stuff. And we'll cover all of that as we get to it. Um, it. It's just a little too early to start planning for that yet. Um, we also have a World Cup this year that we're going to have to go through. So there's just a ton of stuff in the offseason. But um, if you're starting to plan out targets, don't look for guys that were really good this year 
look for guys that will be really good next year. Okay. Yeah. So well, yeah. don't look, don't yeah. look for the guys that had it. I could have figured that out, mate, but that's you, the whole You part. say that, no, but you say that, but everyone goes and buys like the guy that had, I'm trying to think of a good example of a guy that just had a monster season last year. And he was like, yeah, but he's really not that good. And then people just like went nuts and just bought him and said, All right, and he's, oh, so Salawai, Salawai from Kansas City is a great example. Because yeah. he had scored like two or three goals in his whole pro career up until last year. And then he had 20 goals. And you're like, what are the chances he realistically repeats that? But everybody went nuts over Salawai. Don't do that is what I'm saying. You want to get the guys that are either going to project into a better spot or they're going to just, they're just good players, period. Okay, it yeah. sounds basic, but not everyone does it. No, it's good advice. That's good advice because it's kind of crunch time both in the MLS, but also for people on Soria playing the MLS now where they start to have these questions. So good to get the, uh, the expert opinion there, mate. So good stuff. Yeah, and I mean, if you've held through to now, hold until the end of the season because I don't think we're too, too far from the bottom because we, we hit that, you know, everybody plays MLS during the summer but everybody at this point has sold their teams. So we all saw the the dip in the MLS cards and that was expected. Um, Don't sell now is my point. Like whole, if you're, if you've already held through to through this dip, you might as well hold until the end of the season and just kind of keep holding, you know, at least get the full value out of your player. Get some utility in there from uh, Chicago's Chicago's playoff run. All right. Noted. Got it. All right, MLS from Chicago's MLS Cup final bid. Let's go, baby. If we do that, we're both going to that game. I hope you know. If they make it. 100%. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, We'll We'll vlog it. Get the big wigs at Sora to. uh, You can wear your new hat. I love that hat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was on a little Sora baseball meetup that the, the British guy got to go to, even though he's. I think I was the, the alternate number one, but I, I really enjoyed it. It was brilliant. So, yeah, down in LA. Before we wrap up the show, we want to get to today's game of the week for next week, I guess. Um, the game of the week sponsored by Predictology. So, John has sent us over a wonderful little write-up here about how bad Seattle was. We were talking about this earlier in the show, that he was trashing Seattle a little bit. He says the game of the week is the Tabletoppers LA and the CONCACAF Champions League champions Seattle. Um, preseason, many would have predicted this to be a top of the table clash, but Seattle's recent form has been nothing short of ugly, which is his words, not mine. Uh, he says they lost three of the last six, failing to score in the last three um, prior to the SKC game, and they slid to ninth in the Western Conference, which uh, I think he wrote this before Colorado. Um, he says, conversely, top of the Western Conference, Los Angeles are top of the home table as well. They've won 73% of their games at home. They've scored 26 times in 11 games. And he talks about the same stats that I talked about. LA remained the, the best second half team in the league, winning 10 and drawing two, conceding just four goals in 12 games in the second half. Uh, second highest scores behind Austin uh, with the best goal differential. These are likely to be sobering stats for Seattle as they approach the game. How do you see LAFC against Seattle, a big heavyweight clash next week? I'm not as down on Seattle. I don't think I agree with John, but in a different way, I just think LAFC at home, I think they're going to give Gareth Bowie's first start on a Friday night. I think it's going to be rocking down there. I think they're going to, they're just so good. They're just such a good side. They are the best team in the league, in my opinion, on paper and in their performance too. So if and if they are on their game, I don't care how well Seattle play. I think at home with that crowd, Gareth Bale getting the start. I think, I mean, this prediction, but home game makes sense. I think they're going if to, they, if they're on it, it doesn't matter what Seattle do. They're just going to have too much for them. I'm not as down on Seattle. I think Seattle can make a game of it if they stay in the game. There's always a chance. They've got goals. They are resolute. They've got quality in their team. So I'm not writing them off. I'm not confident. But I can see Seattle not putting in a terrible performance and still getting handed a decent loss because yeah. any team in the league that goes to LAFC on their day can just get can get blown away because they're that good. So, yeah, I agree with John. I think LAFC will get it done. I think the Gareth Bale start. I think there'll be momentum. But... I can easily see Seattle, if they turn up and LAFC don't quite on it that day, 
Seattle can beat anyone on their day too. So this is a heavyweight clash. Yeah. The table right now, I don't think represents how close this game can be. But I think at their peak and potential, if they both show up and play their best, I think LAFC just edges it for me. But what do you think? I think these are the two of the three best teams in the Western Conference, along with Austin. And this is going to sound... So, Seattle is not on form, okay? Beating 2-1 Colorado, even even though they were down to man, normally they would handle Colorado a little better than that. Obviously, they lost to Chicago a little while ago, which is a horrible loss. You can't ever lose to Chicago. Um, Seattle isn't quite firing on all cylinders, Obviously, lost Jao Paulo. They haven't had Raul Diaz for a little while, who makes them better. That being said, Seattle is a really good underdog. Seattle is kind of built as a, at their best, they're built as a defend and counter team. They have loads of speed on the counterattack, and they have guys that can pick a pass all over the field at both defender and midfielder. They're going to be okay without the ball. And they're going to really pose a threat to LAFC going forward. I still think LAFC probably end up winning this game because LAFC is on fire right now. And no one really is going into LA and winning. That being said, if they run this game back in the playoffs at LA and Seattle has their full Rui Diaz's back and heat and they're in form, I think Seattle can knock LAFC out of the playoffs this year. So this is definitely going to be an interesting one. It's a heavyweight clash, like you said. Um, I, I do think LAFC probably edge it. Could be a draw as well. But uh, this is not going to be a pushover game, hopefully. Yeah. Was it, was he, uh, were they like a plus one, plus two favorite in, uh, in John's reading? Or is he, is he saying it's going to be a tote game? He's just going for the win. Um, so he's just going straight for the win. Uh, we don't have odds this early. Typically the odds come in about, about now when we're recording and he always has to do things a little ahead of when we do them. Um, so he doesn't have odds in this, but, um, I was, he, he's definitely looking like a win. He's also been a lot lower on Seattle. He's, he's been saying Seattle isn't scoring enough goals, which is fair, but, um, they're also trying to break teams down that are sitting behind the ball, which is not really their game. So, um, yeah, this will be absolutely fascinating to watch. I think I'm somewhere in the middle. It sounds like John's a bit, uh, a bit down on the Sounders, and yeah, you've got a few posters up on your wall now. Uh, now you now you're not a DC fan anymore. No, yeah, you want to see them? They're over there. I think I'm right in between. Yeah, I I think we're all in agreement. LAFC are deadly and dangerous at home. So, and they're white hot, but it's a bit is like a true heavyweight fight where there's a favorite, but. There's definitely some power in the hands of Seattle. So, yeah, I'll, I'll be tuning into that one for sure. Oh, 100% for sure. All right, mate. Uh, anything else or wrap it up here? It's getting late where you're at, huh? It is a little late, and we gotta we actually got to get this thing out here pretty quick. So, uh, yeah, we'll wrap things up. I appreciate the the time and, and the insight, and I uh, hope you had a good week at the, the All-Star Game, Home Run Derby, all that stuff was fun. So uh, I'm heading to London here in, in, in about a week, so... Should be should be a good time. Well, we may make sure you catch a, a West Ham game, the Mecca of I'm, football. Yeah, we're going to West Ham City. We have the tickets already. Actually, so you you owe me a jersey now, right? Because I'm going. Yeah, let's go. 